I want to talk tonight about something that I actually used a lot in the meditation instruction. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be. I, had, I first heard that way back in my very, very, very first day long when I was doing walking meditation. Has everyone in here done walking meditation? It's where you, you just kind of walk, duh. Um, you walk, <laughs> you don't sit, but you walk in a, in a prescribed path, like you would walk from that side of the room to that side and back. So you're not going anywhere, uh, but you're developing um, present time awareness, but use it while you're utilizing your physical body, you're not just sitting. So it's really helpful and it can be really profound. And those are the meditation instructions I got, my very first walking meditation, and I find them very helpful. And I was on retreat a week ago, and I, I, my mind was kind of like bouncing everywhere. And a lot of times if your mind is bouncing, if it's really um, activated or restless, Sometimes it's helpful to really do a concentration practice, like really focus on the breath or counting or something that will really, as much as possible, keep you connected to right now. And I started doing nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be. And I think I did it for about a day and a half from, you know, the morning and through even while I was eating, doing walking practice. And it was like one step, nowhere to go nothing to do, no one to be. And, and I started actually thinking about it. Um, what does it really mean? And that's what happens. Anybody in here been, ever been on retreat? Yeah, a few of you have, where you're just really practicing. Of course, this one was not 100% practice. It was also dismantling oppression. So we had a little bit of content too, but there was a lot of practice sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And we were all in silence um, when we weren't... Um, doing dyads or, or talking in particular arenas, but uh, I really got into what that, what does that mean? And so that's what I wanted to talk about, because it, it can, you can feel very glib, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be, but um, it's a very Buddhist idea. Uh, and, how, and you sometimes would ask, what do you mean no one to be, nowhere to go, nothing to do? Anybody here have a to-do list? There's obviously a lot of things to do. Personally, in our, in our world, there's things to do, things to take care of. But what this is talking about, there's the relative. Obviously, you got here. That was something to do. And when we're done here, you're going to go somewhere else. That's something to do. That's some place to go. You're not going to like just move in here and never leave. That, that's the, there's the relative truth, but then there's the absolute. What does it actually mean? It's like when we talk about impermanence and no fixed self. We have to refer to ourselves. You know, we can't talk about ourselves. And Mary says, that's too weird. Um, we, we utilize shortcuts and, and phrases. And of course, I'm going and I have to do this, blah, blah, blah. But in the big picture, within the realm of Buddhist teachings, what does this stuff mean? Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, actually, when I was looking into this, Thich Nhat, Hanh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who, for those of you who don't know, is a Vietnamese monk. He's been teaching since the 60s. Um, so he's, a, he's Vietnamese, and he really became an activist monk in, during the Vietnam War. 
Um, he talks, he has a book called Nothing to Do, Nowhere to Go. And he says that um, it's in, in Mahayana and Zen tradition, there is something we call Buddha nature. Are you familiar with that term? It's like internally we have this nature to be awakened, that we're, we're actually already awakened beings. And there's just all this shit that's been piled on us since we were born um, that kind of covers up our actual sweet Buddha nature. Um, and so this is what we, the way we excavate that crap is a spiritual practice. And it's the path of purification. It's, it's not purification because you have to purify yourself to be a good person, but to get, eliminate the toxins. That's when, you, when you, you purify something, you get rid of everything that's not um, beneficial. So that's what this is. This is a path of really letting go of that crap that doesn't serve, of learning to turn towards the stuff that we carry around with us. So I just wanted to look into these, and I'll invite you to reflect on these as well, these three little phrases. And, and do they land for you? Do they make sense to you? Are they like foreign language? So that's because we might have a conversation about this. So nowhere to go um, is the first, first piece. There's nowhere to go. We're right here. And when it's almost like meditation 101, when you sit down and you close your eyes or you focus on a point in front of you, it's a cultivation of being here. There is, there is nowhere else, but the mind is not, the mind is just doing what it, it's gonna do. It's constantly, you know, if, if it were something just a little bit different, it would be better. If that would just be quiet, if I, you were somewhere else, we're never, we're rarely where we are, really witnessing our own experience of, oh, this is for me, the water. And actually it wasn't that bad, I was dreading it uh, before we started the meditation, but I, when I was listening to it during the meditation, I was like, is it even, is it awful? No, it's slightly unpleasant to neutral. Whereas my head has created the idea that uh, this is gonna suck, because I know I don't like fountains, and now there's a fountain out there. So I was preparing to have a miserable time. And if I had not paid attention, I would have I had that miserable time. I would have gone to that miserable place. But instead, it was like, oh, what's, why don't I come back here and hang out with what's actually happening? Oh, I didn't have to go anywhere. We just stay here. You know, we, we're, when we pay attention, we see the mind is always going somewhere. There's always someplace else to go. Um, meditation, like I said, meditation practice is stay where you are. There is nowhere else. There is nowhere else. That's, that's the, the funny thing is like somewhere in the mind, I think there's someplace else. But I can't, this, is, this is all there is right now. Other people are other places, so they're having other experiences. We're all having different experiences in this room, but this is, this is all there is. It's right here, right now. Right here, right now. There's nowhere to go. And sometimes we get the idea that we're trying to achieve something. 
Anybody want to achieve anything with their meditation, like bliss? That's trying to go somewhere. Sometimes just being here, being with the, the present, being with the breath. Oh, when you make time to be with your experience, you might find it's actually quite pleasant or neutral. Neutral's not often in our vocabulary. We go from unpleasant to pleasant to pleasant to unpleasant. Unpleasant holds a big space in our lives because we're acutely aware of what's unpleasant. And, ple- and then we're chasing what's pleasant. And neutral is like, meh, in the way. It's like in the way. But then a lot of times we notice when we're being present, it's neutral. It's neutral. I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday. Oh, she was talking about joy and wanting to cultivate some joy in her life. So that was a place she wanted to go to. She said, I want to go to a place of joy. And it's like, okay, when you begin to slow down and pay attention, maybe you will notice the moments of joy that might all, all already be present. Like now that we're getting into this um, fall, the weather brings me great joy. When I can sit and it's not a bazillion degrees out there, it's like, what does that feel like? That's pleasant. The sky with the clouds, I find it really pretty. Oh, that's joy. Okay. So again, we think we've created this place in our mind that we have to get to. And when we get there, then it'll be okay. But you always get there, and then there's always someplace else. It's never quite what you thought it was going to be. So if you keep utilizing the phrase, there's nowhere to go, you, 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 you shift your perspective to what's happening right now. Where, what's happening in your belly? What's happening in your chest? In your shoulders? in your jaw. We want to run from the unpleasant, but learn to stay with, with kindness. With kindness. Thaknath Han says, there's no coming or going. There's only arriving. Arrive here. Where else are you going to go? There's, I don't know if this, if this relates at all, but there's a teacher. He's up in San Francisco, but he used to be down here in L.A., Gene Lushtak. And he was teaching once, and he said, never, ever has his cat ever said, you know, if my tail were fluffier, then I'd be happy. And it's like, it, does, it, it kind of reminds me, if I could get to a place with a fluffier tail, then I'd be happy. Cats don't say things like that. Animals don't say that. I think humans are the only ones who kind of go, this is not okay, I need that. I gotta get somewhere else. And it's like, just, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. Again, this is a tool to bring yourself back when you find you're nowhere here. Like you're buying clothes for the opera. It's like, you're not even going to the opera, come back. Come back. There's nowhere. There's no opera. There's no there there. So come back here. Any questions about this piece before I move on? Okay. Next one. There's nothing to do. Anybody have a to-do list? 
No, oh good. <laughs> I used to make lists of lists that I had to do. I was like, eh. and it's not that we don't, like I said earlier, it's not that we don't have things to do, but we get into that place of achievement. We, ha- we are in this culture, too, of not quite enough. There's always more. There's always, there's always got to have something. It's got to be a certain way. None of us, if we believe the capitalist message, none of, all of us suck. And we just have to buy more and look different and wear different clothes and all the, whatever it is, then we'll be okay. And it's, it's different in different parts of the country. You know, what's cool, what's cool in New York may not be cool in Chicago or San Francisco or Austin. You know, so it's, you're never going to get where you need to go. There's nothing to do. So the achievement, can you let go of that? There's nothing to do. What you do do is um, what I like to say, the next indicated thing. What's next? What's right here? What's presenting itself? You know, this living in this, this world of achievement, whatever it is, it's not even necessarily material. You, even if you can fall into a, a world of achievement in the spiritual realm, you know, accomplishing who's your teacher? Ooh. How many retreats have you gone to? Ooh. Ooh, you went, ooh. I find myself that, you know, I mean, I like, I used to, it was a terrible name dropper. I think it's low self-esteem, and so name dropping helps with your low self-esteem. But it's like, I even find myself, oh, yeah, I sat with him. I sat with her. Oh, yeah, she used to be my teacher. You know, and it's like, even in the spiritual realm, we want to get somewhere. We want to do something, show, we've, show our accomplishments. Um, look at everything I've done. I need you to know this is who I am. Here's everything I've done in my life. It's like, is your LinkedIn up to date? If they look, do they know everything about you? Mm-hmm. The thing that I love, I lo- I, years and years and years and years, gosh, and 20-something years ago, I was, I was interviewing for a job, and this person, the woman said, your resume doesn't... Um, doesn't t- tell everything that you've done. And she goes, it's a, it's, here's how you need to do your resume. So I did something different and more of a functional resume. So I picked out my skill sets. So I highlighted my skills. And then I, what I did is I, and I picked out like seven or eight different, different areas. And then I highlighted you know, accomplishments in those different areas. So every time I did a resume, I would like pick and choose. So I was a different person depending on where, not that I was like a totally different person or, or um, you know, had multiple personalities, but you know, it's just, ooh, is this accomplishment gonna impress you? Is this accomplishment gonna impress you? And it was all, you know, I was not saying that's a bad thing. That's actually sometimes very helpful, but we can get caught, in, caught up in this stuff. So recognizing if you come back, there's nothing to do. If you believe that there's Buddha nature and that you're perfect as you are, which is a long haul for many of us, because we have this internal, we've got this messaging that we've received from all arenas that we don't quite measure up. 
that that's um, you know that we don't have to do anything. We just have to let go. Let go of this stuff that we've picked up along the way. Let go of that messaging that doesn't serve. You know, let go of that. So you don't have to do anything. That's what the beauty of the practice of renunciation. See what's not beneficial and let it go. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let go of what's there. I know it sounds really easy and it's not easy. It's difficult. That's why we practice, practice, practice. So if you're in your, in your meditation and you see it's like, oh, I have to do that, I have to do that. Even something as simple as I had a really good sit yesterday and today it's not so good and I got to get back there. It's like you don't have to do anything. Let go and breathe. Just breathe in and breathe out. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. Any questions around that piece? get a gold star for not doing anything. How's that? And then the last one. This one is the one that I always, um, I always kind of skipped over because it didn't quite make sense to me. But the more I, uh, the more I've reflected on it over the years, the more it really is. Again, it fits right in with this. No one to be. No one to be. And. We take birth as all these different things. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm a partner, I'm a teacher, I'm a baseball fan, I'm a cat owner, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, all these things. We have these roles that define us. And again, it falls into that place of achievement. Who are you? You go to, you go to parties or social studies, what do you do? It's like, who are you, you know? And I was, um, I'm reading this, I was mentioning it. Um, I was reading this memoir, uh, and I heard an interview with a guy yesterday, a, pitch, a baseball pitch, I really am a baseball fan. Um, this uh, guy who was with a, a, a pitcher with some teams a few years ago, and he had just written a, a memoir, published a memoir, and they were asking him about it, and he was talking about, you know, being so caught up in being the best there was, and then when his, his skills started deteriorating, because it happens, we are all of the nature to grow old, get sick, and die. He had this, this you know, this f fall, Internally, and he had to totally, you know, come to grips with his new experience of he's not who he used to be. How was he going to start making his way through the world when everything he moved towards in his entire life is now dissolving before him? When you put so, when you put all your eggs in one basket and then that basket just disappears, who are you? And then this memoir I'm reading right now called Bettyville, um, about this man who uh, went back, he's went back to Missouri, teeny town in Missouri, and was taking care of his mom as she was kind of deteriorating. Also, she was 90 and developing dementia. And, and he's an exquisite writer, and talking about his growing up in this small town and, and the, the non- 
um, how they didn't talk about emotions or feelings in the family, and how he developed how you know he couldn't tell come he couldn't come out to his parents, and he couldn't be true, and they couldn't be true, and you know it's these roles. It's like and trying to figure out who he was supposed to be. So much suffering, so much pain from living in these roles that we think we need to be, who there's, you know, we have to take on um, these, these, these personalities. Uh, and the Buddha said, I, me, mine, when we take that on, it's clinging and we suffer. You know, and this might be the hardest to let go of because we're so tied up in it. We're so tied up in who we are. Who are you? What do you do? We're so defined by that. Again, there's this sense of, even if we're not that, how do we project that? That's who I need to be. How do I make people think I'm that? Social media, that's what we're doing these days. You know, here's who I am. Look at me smiling, doing all these things. Last year, the fire festival, when I saw that documentary, that inspired a Dharma talk, too. It's like, you know, look, I'm the person on the beach with the beautiful people. You know, because she had to pay $45,000 for that, but, you know. Anyway, so um, we have to be willing to let go of who we need people to think us, think who we are. Okay. I can tell a story. This is this is a this is a story. A friend of mine um, was a, a uh, okay. I'm just going to name names. I think I told this. I've, no, I've told this story before. A friend of mine used to work on Paul McCartney's hair, and um, I used to cat sit for her. And when he was in concert a number of years ago, he, we got 11th Row Center tickets, and I went with her, and it was really fun. And then she invited me to a, he was doing a thing at the Palladium. It turned out he was the, it was a, a PETA um, celebration, and he was the musical guest. And so she got invited, and she said, you want to come with me? And I said, sure. And we went in, and we got taken upstairs. If you've been to the Palladium, the upstairs, there's an upstairs place. And that was where the VIPs were. And then we went to a little roped-off area. So we were in the VIP section inside the VIP section. And so there were only about 11 of us, and they were bringing drinks and desserts. And, and I was like, this is cool. And then his wife came, Nancy McCartney came. And she was saying hi to everybody because they were people that knew her. And she came up to me and introduced herself. She goes, hi, I'm Nancy. And I said, well, I'm Mary. And she goes, oh, who are you with? And I said, I'm with my friend. And she said, oh, you're the cat sitter. And I'm like, yes, I'm a cat sitter. That's who I am. You need any cat sat? You know, and it's like, and it was like, I didn't need to be anybody, you know. 20 years ago, I would have been, yeah, and I am this and this and this and this and this because I need to impress you. And now it's like, sure, that's who I am. It was really, I think it was cute, but it was, you know, um, it was, that's what it was. But that's, it's like, I didn't need to be anything other than a cat sitter. You know, again, we stack rank this shit. We stack rank these things because of our conditioning, because we've what we've learned. That's okay, that's not okay. Whereas the Buddha said, 
and I'm totally paraphrasing, are you a person of integrity? Do you live with integrity, with sila? You know, do you not intentionally kill or cause harm? Are you, are you wise and skillful with your speech and your sexuality? Do you not steal? Do you, do you practice ways of being that lead to mindfulness and not heedlessness? Do you got that shit going on? Are you generous? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? These are the things that are important. That's what you want to be. So you want to let go of all the things that aren't that. What did they say? You know, they talked about Michelangelo and his sculpting, how he did the Statue of David. He just chipped away everything that wasn't David. So if you want to get back to this so-called Buddha nature, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who's a monk in, in San Diego, he would have a fit if he heard you talking about Buddha nature because he's like, it's not in the Buddhist teachings, but it's a nice concept to utilize. You know, that we have all this deep conditioning, all this crap that we think is important that will bring us happiness. And the Buddha said, you've got to let go of that. Clinging causes suffering. I, me, mine is clinging. You take birth as the person who needs this. Like I, when I, years ago, and I said, oh, I want that car. I didn't need a car, but all of a sudden for a couple of days I was obsessed with buying this car. And I took birth as the person who needed to buy a car. We take birth as the people who need something. If you can let go of that, then there's much more ease in your life. I don't have to be anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go anywhere. All I, if I can just be with what is, with my present time experience, and hold that, I don't have to be the person with, the sh- with all her shit together. I don't. Because life's messy, and I don't have all my shit together. So if I don't have to be that person, then I, then I, got, then I got it going on. It's, there's so much more ease when I don't have to live up to this, this ideal I've created in my mind. So much more ease. There's, a, there's a, another quote I have. Um, I had one last week from Nisargadatta. Here's another one. It says, Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. So we're not nothing and we're not everything. We're just right. It's like Goldilocks, huh? That's too big. That's too small. That's just right. That's too hot. That's too cold. That's just right. You know, that's the teaching of equanimity. There's praise and there was blame. You can get all your shit together. You can have it all. You can be the person you want. You can have the stuff you want. You can, you can got it all going on and somebody's still going to go, meh, meh. So how are you going to hold that? Praise, blame, gain, loss. Because you're going to get it and you're going to lose it. How are you going to hold that? Does that negate who you are? Can you just be without needing to go or do or have? 